1: With me, your host, Andrew Maxwell. As if you didn't already know that. <laughs> Jacob, what's up?
0: Oh, uh, not much, man. I, that was a very entertaining intro. I like it. Uh, no, nah, dude, yeah, dude,
1: I Yeah, dude, I got to break up the monotony of the intros. They're all kind of the same. So, yeah. I, I don't know. We got to figure yeah. out something interesting. You should sing or something
0: oh easy easy don't tempt me no, andrew's trying to go in for the uh, the, the pure npr uh, intro uh so anyways no but dude I've, I've been i've been absolutely busy for real uh scouting and getting on some bucks and finding a one heck of a publicly in tennessee buck um this this week so other than that man uh what, what have you been up to before we kind of break that down a little bit before this uh, episode
1: I've been up to finding buck beds that still had a buck in them.
0: Very nice. Andrew's becoming a buck stalker, guys. By the way, uh, yeah, he, he. I don't know. I don't know. You're you're, you're stalking up on bucks on beds. You're scaring the heck out of them. poor things. They don't know what's going on. Uh, Dude, I'm having...
1: telling you, man. In gun season, like I got two or three that I have found that if the deer is in the bed and we got the right kind of wind, uh, I really am gonna try and just stalk up on them while they're in the bed. Which people like might look down on, but I think that stalking up on a deer when it has like every advantage, you know, sight, wind, and everything, when it's at its most alert, I think
0: that's kind of challenging. So I don't right. know why people get all mad about it. Well, and, and to make that fair with your with your shooting skills, you have to use a pistol. You have, to, <laughs> have to use a, have to use a handgun. Then it's totally fair. <laughs> I'll just, I'll, I'm just I'm going to use an atlatl.
1: <laughs> that's actually a pretty good segue into our guest today you, um, you you are right about that we're talking trad hunting today man and it's it's pretty interesting like some of the stuff that steve brings up but uh there's a whole like hour of that so let, let's real quick cover our uh, our latest scouting adventures and then we'll hop right into the podcast
0: awesome awesome well let me take i'll take the floor first uh my weekend had been has been pretty crazy um absolutely uh just just you know, it it went it went from being um, what I thought was gonna be a washout. I was gonna go to Ohio uh, Saturday morning and looked on the weather, and it was like eighty five percent of thunderstorms the whole day. I'm like, I'm not I'm not dealing with that crap. So I decided to hit some public land down here in Tennessee that I've heard good, or I should say, I've heard a little bit about it, but it, it just looks good on a map. But I really didn't know until I put my feet on the you know on the ground itself to really what the property is gonna be like and. Found out, uh, you know, one thing that the property had a lot of, which I haven't seen since Arkansas, is a bunch of cedars. Um, so, so that was one thing kind of, not, I want to say threw me off, but something I'm definitely trying to get used to again is hunting in and around cedars, uh, cedar thickets, and kind of understanding how the deer like to work through them. Uh, but the first uh, part of the property I went to, it was probably 90% cedars, 8% hickory, and then 2% other. And that other part of, you know, of that 2%, 2%, um, you know, there was very little oak trees. I found a couple, which the good thing about that is, you know, if you can find those oak trees that, you know, maybe are kind of off the beaten path or someone's not going to walk upon it pretty easily, that might be a really good spot uh, come early season because um, that limiting food source in there. Plus, you know, hunting around theater sick, uh, God, I can't talk tonight. Theater Cedar, Jesus, cedar, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Struggle cedar bus. thickets. I'm telling you, man. I'm telling. Hey, we're keeping it raw. But there you go. now nah, so uh, just around some thickets and everything, definitely had to look for different food sources that I'm used to. I mean, there's a lot of browse and everything, and also I was watching out for timber rattlesnakes. Uh, so that that was fun. Um, uh, but went to another part of the property and started finding some ag, and I was kind of intrigued by that because I've never actually hunted uh, publicly that had ag on it before uh, both being corn and soybean so i found and scouted a lot of that i uh, found a really really good spot uh, around some of the ag that would i would say the only way you'd be able to hunt this little line of trees or these bucks there's there's an old scrape there's a couple old scrapes right there that kind of dissected one of these fields the only way you'd be able to hunt it is out of a, a legit portable lock on i thought of like if you had a, if you had a saddle it's it's so thick that and the, I'm talking the trees are so thick that you would have to hack off pretty much like half a tree to be able to just get the right angle to be able you know look around uh, and then also you know you're most you're not gonna be able to get a climber at all like on this property I I saw maybe one tree the whole day and I was there from nine o'clock in the morning until nine thirty at night. And I saw one tree the whole time that you could get a climber and that was it. Everything else, you're going to have to have a lock on and or a saddle, which is good for me because that's, I mean, I'm definitely using my lone wolf uh, alpha this year. Um, But, you know, went over to a couple other parcels, found some really good spots uh, after a little while of just scouting, which, I mean, the one thing is, you know, definitely the first time I'm on a property, I definitely like to make a couple of, a couple other trips to it because, you know, that first time you go on, you kind of hit some of the the major um, things that you can kind of see on a map. And what i like to do on that second trip or third trip is really kind of make it, find those little more subtle um, uh, little benches, little rises, stuff that you really can't see on a map. Kind of like, you know, Andrew, what you and me have done on our property or uh, that public land in uh, Alabama. You know, finding some of these subtle uh, terrain features that really either funnel the deer or the, re- the deer really like that area that a lot of people can't see on the map. And that's really how you uh, get away from people. So that's what I'll be doing uh, this coming weekend. But to transfer over uh later that day I was able to get out into some uh soybeans and uh got on a part of the property that had, you know, decent amount of uh, ag on it. And uh, my game plan was just kind of scout around the edge of the uh, some of these soybean fields and just try to see first of all, is there much deer activity in the area, which come to find out there was, but there was an absolute ton of turkey sign. Like I almost got more excited about turkey hunting than deer hunting out there, just how much turkey sign I was finding and founding I think I found 25 dust bowls the whole day, uh, which is awesome, Um, along with just tons of tracks. But, uh, you know, day was definitely setting. Uh, You know, summer started to set. Day was uh, coming to an end. And I had probably about 45 minutes left of uh, what you, I guess you'd call like, you know, legal shooting light out there. And, you know, I was looking for a buck. And. Started walking back towards the truck, uh, to try to glass a couple other fields that I had uh walked past earlier and literally come up over this rise on the edge of this field. and A buck, a really, really, really good buck, walks out from my right, from right to left throughout this timber and walks across and gets in that field not more than 35 yards from me. And the second I see him, he's like looking away from me. And I like literally drop down to the ground into the grass and kind of just like sit there for a second because I really didn't want to bust him at that close because he was going to see me. couldn't smell me, but he was definitely going to see me up close and personal. I didn't really want to bust him up like that. Uh, But anyways, he kind of worked off and started. If if y'all had followed the Instagram page, I did a pretty long story there, kind of adding to that of what I'd seen. But uh, worked over, worked over the rise, kind of looked down where he had gone, and totally, it was a total of three bucks. Uh, the biggest buck, which is the one that walked past me, is going to be, I mean, he's going to be a popping young deer this year easily. Uh, again, wasn't able to see his body all that good, especially the soybeans were so tall. I mean, all you could see was the top of his back, a uh, little bit of his shoulders, and then just his neck and head. But uh, he's definitely gonna be a popping young buck this year without a doubt. And then the other two deer that uh, was with him were definitely you know two younger deer, one that will be a freaking stud in two years if uh, he can make it. It's a super wide frame, wide wide main beams it's not much for tines. Uh, and then you know, worse comes to worst, I started trying to ease my way out of there and freaking just doe started popping up everywhere. Then <laughs> I had mm-hmm. a doe pop up not more than I don't know 40 yards from me. She saw me and it's blue, but none of the other deer cared, and I was looking out through my body, none of the other deer cared, she blew, ran off, and I was starting to work my way down a little bit farther, and at this point, that bachelor group of bucks, everyone else can't see me, and then all of a sudden, this giant deer just walks out in the field, and I thought it was a buck at first, about 250 yards away, and this big body, I was like, oh man, it has gotta be a big buck. Pull up my binos, and I'm like, that is the one of the biggest does I've ever seen. And uh, she saw me pinned from, she had me pegged from 250 yards. I mean, I'm in cover on this edge of this field. I'm in cover, but she had me pegged, I guess. And uh, yeah, she blew, ran, and then all uh, these two other smaller bucks in this next field kind of like ran out with her. And anyways, left. And a uh, short, uh, long story short, ran to a local there that actually was going to come in to do some filming uh, to try to look at some bucks and hit it off with him, and uh, we're definitely going to look at teaming up for this year out there. But anyways, it got me super excited. I know it's kind of long-winded, but super excited for out there. But, uh, Andrew, uh, what have you been up to on your scouting adventures? So, you know how we kind of
1: – I mean, we're always, literally always running our mouths about, like, buck bedding, public land, this and that. So, um, you know, if you've done any research at all on public land hunting, you probably have seen where – everyone's like you got to get off the roads you got to stay far off the roads to get away from people and that's true in some places but in other places you know that's been drilled into people's heads for you know probably the better part of a decade at least probably longer than that uh and so you know everybody's going far off the roads in some areas you know i get like way back in there and i come across like trash flagging tape tree stands trail cameras and it's just discouraging so i started focusing on finding overlooked spots and so uh, that can be kind of difficult i guess uh so i'm trying to come up with like a system of doing it which i'm writing an article right now where i took like 10 bucks that i'm either chasing or have chased and looked at like features of where they were living to try and see like consistencies and it's pretty cool what i've got so far um Hopefully that article will be out, you know, eventually. <laughs> if it doesn't get bought by anybody, I'm going to put it on our website. But uh, uh, So to start, like, finding a new overlooked spot, I was like, well, what are the spots that I've overlooked? And uh, I just start looking all over this parcel that I've hunted for a while, and sure enough, I found a spot. I'm like, okay, that looks pretty good. And I start working in there, and uh, long story short, I bump a buck out of his bed, a really good buck at that. And, dude, I go up in there to his bed to see what he can see, and it is just a cave of a bed, dude. I mean, it's, like, tucked up against this big fallen log, and it got briars growing all over it, and he's, like, situated on the high point, and he can see his little draw in front of him, and he's got thick stuff behind him. It's just it's perfect. And that bed is so worn down to the dirt that it looks like a scrape. It's crazy, dude. Uh, I think I might have put it on the Instagram. If not, I'm going to put it on there because it's impressive. Like, I haven't found a bed that heavy ever anywhere. Um, But, yeah, so the cool thing about that buck is that he is literally bedded about 180-ish yards from the locked gate. But there's an access road that goes back in there, and he's bedded like 50 yards off that access road. And with the dominant wind, he can smell you when you go in there if you're using that access road. But luckily, I have another way I can go in there and get pretty close to him. Not as close as I'd like to get, but, I mean, it's what I got, so I'm going to try it. But that's that's been the extent of it so far. Um, I'm pretty excited about that. I'm just kind of piling up the, the new locations for this year. So I think I'm up to, like, six or seven beds now in Alabama and hopefully I'll be finding more in the Georgia parcels that I'm going to be looking at but
0: yeah I mean that, that pretty much covers it for me yeah and the good thing is what you're what you're looking for is you know true big buck beds I mean you know you do we do find a lot of just small you know doe bedding uh beds uh pretty often where we're hunting but we're trying to target you know like you said you know we're trying to target you know bigger older age class deer and you know they're very uh, meticulous on where they bed but once you find out what you're looking for it's it's a lot easier to find than what a lot of people think so i know you've had a lot of success lately being able to do that i know uh that's something i'm trying to figure out a little bit more of how they're using the train up here in uh, tennessee uh but hopefully this weekend i'll be able to get a little better payoff for that and i got a pretty good area i'm gonna be checking out but that's awesome man uh and another thing i, I kind of thought about is kind of the tip for everybody out there which it may or may not work for you but i think it worked for me up here in tennessee is you know, on, on one parcel where I did find a pretty good amount of uh, deer sign uh, was, you know, the second I got on the parcel, I'm like, this is pitiful. Like, you know, this isn't worth walking through because just how thick, nasty, and it, it wasn't super huntable. Uh, this It was a lot of cedars, and if, for anyone that knows it's hunted in cedars, um, it's hard to get a good tree. to. It's hard to find a good tree to get in where you're higher than six or eight feet up. Uh, especially when the cedars uh, and the cedar thickets are, you know, I- I'm not going to put an age class on, but, you know, the trees are, you know, eight, ten inches in diameter, maybe a little bit bigger, but they're just so choked out it's, uh, it's, it's hard to find a good spot to uh, set up. But, you know, I kind of was getting turned off by it after finding uh, uh, some turtles going at it. And uh, the old, tur- the old, the old uh, turtle rut going on. I'll tell you what, that turtle rut in Tennessee is hot right now. But yeah, actually, like for, for real soul, oh, two box girls, a male was chasing the female. I'm just guessing, I'm, I'm not a biologist, but male was chasing the female. He literally mounts her and does his thing right there in front of me on camera. Like It's I like National Geographic's got it all on camera. And uh yeah and, and the, the, the no the funny thing was I was over his back shoulder and he was done. He looks up at me and literally goes into shell like after he was done. It was hilarious. I'm like my bad dude. My bad and you know. Yeah. So All right. yeah. But anyways, so, yeah, well the Southern anyways.
1: Outdoorsman podcast is the only place where you get the most up-to-date information on the box turtle rut in Middle Tennessee.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're hey, we're going to have the uh yeah, we're gonna have the, the turtle report coming at you oh, live no. next week. <laughs> that, that's a
1: that's a good that's a good way to end this intro because, huh?
0: You gonna? Well, I, was gonna I, I was gonna say I was trying to make my point. I kind of rambled on right there, but, but what I decided was, you know, it was so nasty terrain. There was a bunch of the uh, that um, uh, stingweed and everything around. That I'm like no one's gonna want to hunt here. They're like there's no point of hunting here. That I kept thinking. I'm like, I wonder how many other people have thought that gone on here and they'd left the property. So I'm like, screw it. I'm gonna go in deeper. I went in deeper and started finding more signs. So this just one of those things, guys. If you find a property or find something that looks really nasty, like, oh, this isn't worth looking at, try to keep pushing yourself forward and try to get through some of that. And I'm sure you're gonna find some really good sign. And that, that's what happened for me this weekend. That that's actually a
1: really really good tip, man. That's good. So yeah, it,
0: I was gonna say it takes a lot. It takes a lot of uh, It takes a lot of uh, mental mental. Um, uh, effort to be able to do that to tell yourself no we're gonna go in deeper it's hot it's miserable it's thick lots of mosquitoes this and that you're like oh there's no deer here because you're not seeing any sign that was my problem I wasn't seeing any sign you know within half a mile of the road uh, which it was super thick stuff I mean it took me a while to get through there and finally I broke out and started finding a lot more signs so yeah like, like you know like you said it's a good tip uh just you know try that out especially if you have a place that you know that might uh remind you of some area you know try it out and see how that works for you
1: yeah man I mean that's the guy who taught me how to trap taught me that rule he's like once you think that you found the best thing or that you're not going to find anything else go a little bit further and when you think you want to quit go a little bit further and it's like every time i'm out scouting I, i follow that and it's just it works wonders when you just put in a little bit more effort and you go pursue something that you don't think is worth pursuing
0: Yep, exactly. But on that note, guys, uh, hopefully y'all made it through our, our little long-winded intro this, for this week. Uh, and, Andrew, I'll let you kind of turn it over to Steve.
1: Yeah, uh, I will say um, we are still looking for buck reporters, which is what we are definitely calling it, uh, for this fall. We'll be starting probably late August, maybe early September. It's still up in the air. But uh, if you feel like being on the show, um, very similar to our strut report, shoot us a message or email or something on Facebook or Instagram or email aloutdoors8 at gmail.com. It's just going to be a quick show that drops on uh, Friday mornings that'll give you information on what the deer are doing in your neck of the woods. So if you're in Northern Georgia We're going to call you up and we're going to have you on the podcast for five minutes and you're going to say, yeah, the deer are doing this right now. I'm seeing this. Weather's affecting them, food sources, just general stuff that people would like to know before they go into the woods. So crank it up on a Friday morning on your way out to the hunting camp and you should be ready to rock. Uh, It went really good in turkey season with the strut report, so we're going to do it with deer from the beginning of season to the end of season. Uh, We're excited about it, so um be sure y'all are looking for that and if you want to be on it just let us know and i took a really long time to say that so now here's mr steve angel of traditional outdoors all right guys and today we are with our friend and a fellow podcaster mr steve angel of the traditional outdoors podcast steve how you doing
2: buddy man doing great uh Glad to be on the show. I appreciate you guys inviting me to come on and talk with
1: you. I appreciate you coming on, man. I've, I've been pretty interested in having you on for a while now. Me and you have talked for probably a couple weeks now, ever since you started up and we kind of discovered each other's podcasts, We've traded a lot of information back and forth and helped each other out, and we knew it was a matter of time before we got on each other's shows, but uh, Jacob, how are you doing over there?
0: Doing good, in guys. Nashville. Yeah, do, doing real good. Uh, again, just had a unbelievable scouting trip uh, this past saturday uh on some public land in tennessee and was able to uh, find a, a really good bachelor group of bucks uh which was which was absolutely awesome actually the largest buck crossing past with me uh undetected at about 30 yards which was absolutely just a blast to and be able to glass them so i've had a good time lately works been going well uh, so you know andrew how have you been and have you been uh doing anything out of the ordinary lately
1: Well, I scouted, uh, I guess it was Saturday, Uh, found a really, really good buck bed that had a buck in it, and he hopped up and ran off. Well, actually, he didn't hop up and run off. He just kind of got up and meandered away. He didn't really know what I was, which is good. Had the wind in my favor, but it was a great bed, man. It's wore down to dirt. I mean, it looks like a scrape. He lays in it so much, but... Mm -hmm. Uh Steve, I know that you've been scouting in North Georgia quite a bit and I've seen that you found some beds and some uh, community scrapes. So what have you been up to up
2: there? Well, uh we kind of kicked into high gear in, with scouting a few weeks ago. Um I think the first the first images I was texting you back and forth was actually down in uh some property I uh hunt in Middle Georgia about a hour south of Atlanta. Uh but this past weekend i was definitely scouting up in north georgia i a um, new piece of property i'm actually working on a, a future podcast episode uh, over at traditional outdoors with my co-host nick where we're going to do some uh some scouting and some journaling and kind of give a, a a report on what we found in the area that we're going to to use for that podcast episode and then kind of have one later in the year after season to talk about what our results were but uh so I did that Saturday um, or Sunday, I think it was. And then after I finished that scouting trip up, I have another uh, track of public land that I've hunted quite a bit in the past and um, went back to some notes from my hunting journal from last year and some bucks that I'd seen at, at a, a good distance. Um, went back and kind of followed up on where I'd seen that, that activity and kind of did some backtracking found some trails and ended up locating a few beds and even found a shed along the way
1: that sounds pretty cool yeah i enjoyed seeing all those pictures man but before we go any further we've kind of alluded a few times to uh to traditional outdoors which is your thing so why don't you just kind of give us in a nutshell what your podcast and everything is all about
2: uh sure and thank you um so, I started traditional outdoors. We've been up and running now for for several months uh and it really came about after a lot of contemplation sitting in a, a tree stand uh last year over the course of the season um You guys don't know a ton about the traditional community, but there's some great people in that community just as a whole, you won't find you know any better people just you know salt of the earth, real genuine uh folks. But you run into a lot of, uh, I guess the, the best word to use is attitude sometimes, especially with people that might be looking to get into the sport and they ask some questions and, you know, the whole social media thing, everybody's got an opinion, right? Yeah. Um, and, and in seeing a lot of people appear to be frustrated, I started thinking about how could I go about uh, promoting the sport And there was already some traditional bow hunting and traditional archery related podcasts out there. So I started looking at it from a holistic approach. I've I've loved the outdoors since I was in my early teens, Uh, everything from hunting, fishing, you name it. If it's outside, you know, I've wanted to do it. And then I started thinking about the changes that I've seen. I've been uh, bow hunting now for 35 years and the changes that I've seen in the industry, uh, with a lot of things that are on uh, television and hunting shows and so forth. And what I decided I wanted to do was create a podcast where I could talk to people that do things like I do, such as the tr- traditional bow hunting and traditional archery, but, you know, also bring folks on to talk about, you know, fly fishing, knife making, camping, backpacking, you name it. Uh, and looking at it from a really an old school approach is what I kind of call it where traditional is more about, um, not so much about successes in the field, but the experiences that you that you take away uh, when you spend time outdoors. And, you know, the, the fish and the number and size of the animals that you take is really just icing on the cake. It's it's more about uh, the experiences. And then also general outdoor skills, woodsmanship, getting away from success in a bag, bottle, or box and getting back to... Um, having success in the field based on just knowledge and, and understanding of the, the the world outside, the ecosystems. So I guess roundabout approach, that's that's pretty much what we're after. So, you know, me and my co-host are both traditional bow hunters, um, but we're much more than that. And my hope and my goal is that by talking about not only traditional bow hunting, but, but other outdoor activities, I'm introducing... Uh, Traditional archery and traditional bow hunting to people that uh, may not have considered it and you know my hope is i turn people on to it just because they see how much doggone fun we're having yeah
1: i like that and one of those things you said uh getting away from like success in a bottle so to speak i can really relate to that man because when i was younger you know like my early teenage years when i was kind of out there on my own trying to figure out how to do things i was trying everything on the shelf, spending what little money I had, trying to buy, you know, this or that that would give me an edge. But why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, like how how you got into traditional bow hunting? Because I remember you told me that you used to rifle hunt and I think uh, just regular compound bow hunt. So what made you kind of switch into the traditional lifestyle?
2: Well, um, I guess I'll if you don't mind, I'll, I'll kind of just kind of go all the way back and move my way forward because it, it, it really becomes the, the, the whole story, so to speak. But yeah, uh, that's fine. I grew up in a, a farming family. My my father was a, a tobacco farmer. So, you know, that was pretty much all I knew uh, growing up. But I had a love for the outdoors and no nobody else in my family did. My mother liked to fish a little bit, but my father, you know, he was pretty much just absorbed in, in the farm and uh, but he, you know, I kind of kept it in his face. So by the time I turned 16, uh, he surprised me with, a, uh, my first weapon. He, he bought me a compound bow. Uh, it was a, a Darton SL 50. Again, this was, this would have been back in the, the mid, uh, eighties. And so I started hunting with that. And by hunting, I mean, I was basically roaming through the woods without a clue what I was doing. Um, <laughs> But over time, you know, I started teaching myself, learning things. We didn't have the Internet back then, so I read what I could, and, uh, mostly in magazines. Um, and I finally took, I think it took me about two seasons. I finally got my first deer with a bow. Uh, never hunted with a rifle during that time and, and hunted for, with a bow for another year or so before I even picked up a, a rifle and started hunting. But over the course of the years, you know, rifles, black powder, hunted for several years with handguns and started finding ways to, to challenge myself more and more. Um, put the rifles away long ago, hunting with handguns for a few years, and then put those away and pretty much started hunting just with the, the compound. And, you know, I was being consistently, uh, successful and, and started looking for other ways to challenge myself. So, uh, figured, you know, what the heck, I'll try traditional archery. So picked up a recurve. I honestly couldn't even tell you what type it was at this point but uh messed around kind of between the compound and the the recurve for a season and then the following year I said you know what I'm 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 going to hunt with nothing but a traditional bow this year and and see if I can't you know put something on the ground and I went to a local 3d club uh here in Gainesville and a guy you know was trying a lot of different bows and I tried a long bow for the first time uh at that at that club and it was just like that was the that was the magic. You know, as soon as I started shooting and was hitting where I was looking, I wasn't having to think. It just felt, you know, natural. So I switched to hunting with a compound that year, and I shot my first whitetail uh, that fall with a longbow and never looked back. And, in fact, uh, sold the compound the next year and then proceeded to pretty much sell all of my firearms so i don't I, i've i got a few personal defense weapons now but uh, i haven't been in the woods with anything but a longbow this will be my 16th year my 16th season going into this fall
1: i hear that that's that's awesome i i've shot recurves and longbows a little bit i used to own a recurve and for me i found a longbow a lot more forgiving which i'm not sure if there's anything to that but I can hit with a longbow a lot better than a recurve. And I've shot several different like brands and styles of each, I guess. And for some reason, the longbow just works better for me. So is there anything to that or am I just imagining it?
2: I think it's, it's different for different people. Anytime anyone ever approaches me or if I see a post, you know, on Facebook or somewhere and they're asking, you know, what, I'm wanting to try traditional. What kind of bow should I try? Um, my, my recommendation to them is always try to find a local club or a local shoot that you can attend and go try as many of many bows as you can. Most of the people that attend these uh, shoots are, are, very proud of their equipment and they're happy to let you try them. Uh, it's just different for everybody. I was the same way. Uh, when I first uh, started shooting with a recurve, I could shoot it. Okay. But it just, it didn't click. Um, until I started, when I picked up a longbow, it just, it just clicked. So I think it's different for, for each person, but I can tell you after shooting a longbow all these years, now I can pretty much pick up a recurve and, and shoot within a, you know, I have to shoot a few arrows to get my mind dialed back into it, but I can pretty much shoot either one of them effectively now. So it's, I think it's a lot of, it's just mental, but ultimately you have to find what works for you.
1: Now, how many guys do you know who are who are making their own bow and hunting with their like a I guess you'd call it a self bow? Would that be what's defined as a self bow?
2: Yeah, so a self bow is pretty much any bow that's crafted from a single piece of wood. So you you basically take a what's called a stave, a section of wood and you you carve the bow out of that piece of wood. Um, I've built a, or I've, I've made a few of those. Um, I've actually hunted with them a few times. I've, I've, I haven't taken an animal yet with it, but the local club that we have here, and we have several clubs here in Georgia between our North Georgia traditional and South Georgia, uh, traditional and primitive, and then, uh, traditional bow hunters of Georgia. There's, there's a lot of people, uh, in the sport and there's a, there's a real good mix of people that are, that are, uh, Making their own bows and and shooting wood arrows. I've I've made arrows from um, river cane. So I mean I know you've you've got a lot of that in Alabama too. But you know you you can cut down river cane and make a very uh, good functional arrow. And the river cane arrows are they're almost if not as durable as carbon. I mean it's they, in fact we call it nature's carbon. It's it's pretty tough stuff.
0: Now, now Steve, I'll, I'll say something. You know i can relate with you when it comes to wanting to challenge yourself you know starting out with a compound bow and then moving on to different weapons uh I, i've done something similar um i've always liked the idea of challenge you know success is one of those things that you know if success came easy it, it wouldn't be as fulfilling as if you really challenge yourself and that's how i look at it uh I, I know guys like you know talking about you know like hunting public land i like hunting public land for the reason of to me there's a challenge of really doing it to try to learn new properties learn how to hunt it and that challenge of going to something that you might not know uh certain about where you know if you had a family farm something that you had for a long period of time and you kind of knew where the deer were uh you know it'd be very repetitive on how your success could be or uh, could happen as long as you made the shot so understanding that and understanding how you try and transfer them through different weapons to kind of give yourself a challenge i can again relate with that you know this year, I'd love to be able to, uh, I'm going to try to hunt a decent amount with a pistol uh, to, to try to, you know, put that under my belt and be able to harvest a deer with that. I, I think that would be something that really would fulfill me. And I could see how, you know, going from all that to a you know, traditional archer, trad, trad hunting uh, to really be like the next step up. Because, I mean, to me, you don't get much more of a, a handicap than using trad equipment. Uh, and, and that's something that, you know, a lot of people like yourself uh, have said that, you know, once you try and you have some success with it and you see how much fun it is to shoot that kind of equipment, you know, you, you, like you said, you know, you don't look back. Uh, so, again, I can relate with you, and I think a lot of other listeners can relate with you on that aspect.
2: Well, uh, thank you, Jacob, and I'll, I will tell you that it's funny, you know, with each year that passes by that I do this, I personally um, see it as less and less of a handicap. Um, the The challenge the challenge is really about getting the animal within you know, your effective range. Once they're in that effective range, uh, it's game on. I don't, um, I don't even think about, you know, man, I wished I had XYZ. It, it just doesn't even, at that point, it's just mechanical. Um, but I, you know, I uh, you're going through some of the same steps that I went through, you know, 15, 16 years ago. You just, you just find ways to challenge yourself. Um, a lot of guys do it with, you know, trying to find the, the, the bigger buck or the biggest buck in the area. And for me, sure. I loved, I love to see big bucks. I love, I'd love, you know, I'd love to shoot a big, a big buck. But for me, a lot of times it does, you know, a, a, a wise doe is just as, just as challenging for me because again, that, that 15, 20 yard uh, buffer that you have to get them inside of it, it pretty much puts you on a lay, level playing field with all of them. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> yeah, see, I wanted to ask you about that because you're having to get a lot closer than people with a compound have to get. So I cap myself at forty yards with a compound bow, and it's hard enough to get within forty yards of a deer, but you got to get within fifteen to twenty. But on top of that, you know, I'd imagine if you're shooting like a sixty-four inch longbow, that you have trouble getting it back in a tree sometimes. I mean. It, is that like a big problem for trad hunters when they're you're up in a climber and you can't draw in certain areas because your bow's so big
2: um so it's all about uh, attention to detail you find yourself thinking about every little aspect of of your setup uh both from a from an animal perspective you know where's where where's your best chance to have that animal come within range but also when you're in the tree and it's funny you mentioned 64 that's the that's the length of the bow that I've, I'm shooting this year, and that I shot last year. Prior to that, I was shooting 68 and 70 inch bows, um, and from the from the tree and and on the ground. So you just you have to plan a little bit better. Um, with a 64 inch bow, it's it's not so much. In fact, uh, I took a, a fairly decent 10 point this last year, and because of the way he came in, if I had been shooting my longer bows, I would have probably never gotten a shot. The The 64-inch bows was was my saving grace on, on that particular opportunity. But most of the time I'm setting my stand up, and there's a lot of factors that go into it, but one of the factors that I always try to consider is um, the, the direction which I can freely shoot, which means because I'm a, a right-handed person, I can always shoot – uh, to the right a lot more effectively than I can to the left, because when I turn to the left, now I start having to worry about my lower limb, you know, getting in the way of the the stand, getting in the way of the limb or potentially even the tree. So it's just a a thought process and you learn it pretty quick after you make a mistake a time or two.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, to put that in perspective, like if you haven't handled like a longbow or something before, it's kind of hard to imagine how big they are but if you shoot like a 30 inch axle to axle compound, it's, <laughs> it's twice the length of that plus four inches. I mean, they're humongous. <laughs> so it's a lot different, man. It's a, it's a different world. I've hunted with a, a recurve a few times back in high school. I had one, I had a, a bear grizzly 60 pound, uh, recurve bow, which was too heavy. Um, but I almost got a shot at a little buck with it all, off the ground. It was pretty fun, but i I ended up bringing the compound out more, and I finally ended up selling that bow when I moved to college. I had
2: to get some money, so the recurve went well if you were i mean if you were a young kid and you were i don't know if you were into sports or anything like that um sixty pounds was definitely on the heavy side um I would say if you're if you're just starting out, you're probably going to be much much happier and more effective with something in the low 40s 40 to 45 pounds is probably a better starting point um but you know everybody's got their opinion on bow weight so we'll we can have that conversation off the air because there's a lot of (laughs) differing opinions and i kind of i kind of go against the grain on most of them so but if you are starting out you know you you typically are better off to look at something in the in the lower 40s um just to to learn how to uh properly you know anchor um not avoid developing any kind of target panic or snap shooting, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, so uh, another thing I wanted to ask was, uh, are you seeing that we're having like an upsurge in traditional archery? Like, are you saying that more and more people are getting into it,
2: or is it just kind of stagnant? Uh, it goes in, it, it, it's, it's in waves just like everything else. Um, in fact, a lot of us joke, uh, we've seen a, a decline Uh, in attendance in a lot of the the 3d shoots that we have here locally and part of that is just saturation because i mentioned we have you know we have three main uh groups within the state and then we have a couple of other smaller groups and you know they're holding shoots so you know about once a month is about all you can really expect people to attend but beyond that i don't know that we've i think it's probably pretty um uh, pretty stagnant right now i wouldn't say it's declining or increasing it's probably just you know a, a status quo what we need is a, we we joke that we need a new uh brave movie or a new hunger games movie to come out because every time <laughs> you know those things come out you just have a surge of new people that want to get started and some of them stick with it some of them some of them will go for a month or two and then they you know it's just not their thing and they'll they'll fade out but we we routinely see um a few new people at our local club every 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 shoot we have a shoot once a month and we typically see a few new faces and and usually it's a you know a younger generation you know we've got one family that started just a couple of shoots ago and it's a a, a girl that's in her she's still in high school uh, she you know basically decided she wanted to shoot traditional archery and she's got her parents coming with her and so you know it 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 it's hard to pin it down it, it attracts all kinds.
1: Yeah, f- funny you mentioned like Hunger Games and everything because when the Hunger Games and that other movie and everything came out, uh, I was working in a bow shop and there was a noticeable uptick in people coming in wanting recurves. And we sold a lot of recurves, not just to kids but to adults too. So that was pretty interesting to see how that movie kind of affected the market with a, with traditional archery.
2: Yeah, we saw the same thing.
0: Now, guys, uh, you know, as another point here and another perspective on this, kind of, Andrew, like you said, back in high school, you had a recurve that you shot. Well, back in high school, I was actually on our archery team. Uh, We had a high school archery team uh, and went to state pretty much every year I was there, and we we competed very well. Um, And the thing is, you know, when we were in our archery team, we had to shoot Matthews Genesis compound bows with no sight with a basic little – little arrow rest uh, yep. so y- you had to understand how to shoot with that that, um, uh, that kind of muscle memory uh, instinctive shoot uh, instinctive shooting. there you go and I got really good at it personally I mean I, I seriously felt comfortable enough where when we did our tournaments, we did it at it was 15 yards, and I believe it was 25 yards, and I could go out to 35 yards with that bow. and I mean, it's you know 25 pounds, nothing major, but I could consistently hit you know a six to eight inch circle at you know 35 yards with it, uh, it, it was an absolute blast to shoot. Um, and then uh, to transition to something else, I, uh, one of my younger brothers, probably about six years ago, had built a his own little. What he called his little trad bow, which he actually found a YouTube video. on how to make a uh, long bow out of PVC pipe. And when he first made it, I was like, oh, this this is not going to work. And he made it and I tested it out and draw weight on was maybe, you know, 30 pounds, if that. Um, but I shot, could shoot that surprisingly well out to about, you know, 15, 15 to 20 yards as well. And it's just so much fun. I mean, then again, I, I'm not using a true trad bow in either situation, but just to be able to shoot something without sights and without necessarily a, a real true error risk <clears throat> is an absolute blast, first of all. I mean, it, there is no more fun than that, going out and shooting in the back of the yard uh, and, and just, you know, whether you want to go shoot stumps in the woods or actually take it out hunting. To me, it's so fun to be able to, to do that and have that simplistic mindset where it's just you and the bow. It's you and the bow, making the shot. You don't have to overthink anything. It's, it's To me, it's very relaxful and I absolutely love that. I know our buddy Jamie uh, Monaghan says the same thing yeah. Uh, he actually built his own longbow with his uh, son, I believe, and has absolutely loved it. And again, I don't know if his confidence is up to the point where he wants to go hunting with it, but it's definitely something that he talks about a lot and really goes to a lot of these different 3D shoots with and absolutely enjoys it.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's funny because uh, I think traditional archery is something that a lot of non-hunters like can kind of a little bit identify with because everyone knows what it is. And I think that when you mention archery to people that that's what pops up into their mind. They don't think of, like, a Hoyt, you know, pro-defiant or whatever. They think of, like, a longbow or something. When I was in eighth grade, we had a history teacher. We were studying, like, nomadic people and, like, hunter-gatherers. And we were doing, like, a school project where you could, like, make a certain thing. And one of the options was you could make a bow. And so a bunch of people showed up to school with, like, these little bows, you know, where they would went and cut a little sweet gum out of their backyard and, you know... Uh, cut it down a little bit and then put a string on it. And a bunch of people showed up to school with bows. <laughs> that was pretty cool. <laughs> but I understand, Jacob, you said something about like just you and the bow. And in my very limited experience hunting with traditional archery, I mean, it's really a good feeling walking into the woods with that light bow in your hand. Cause I mean, it weighs so much. I mean, it's like a feather compared to what I'm used to carrying and getting out there. Just, just the stick and the string, you don't have a sight. I, there's something about it; it just feels good. Uh, you just have to experience it really to understand what I'm talking about. Well, I guess, I, Steve,
2: you know what I'm talking about. I, I know exactly, and I'll even, you know, add on to some of the things that, that Jacob was saying. I mean, it's when I shot a compound, you know, like I said, it's been a long time. But you know, I would shoot maybe at best once a week year round. Um, you know, I didn't, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't shoot as much mainly because it, it, it had just gotten so mechanical. Um, now I will also preface that by saying I had a 30 yard, um, self-imposed limit on my shooting. And we can talk about that if you'd like to, but I've, I've, I've never shot an animal with a bow of any type over 30 yards. Um, so from, from zero, you know, from zero to 30 yards, you know, I could practice a few times a week or a few times a month and, and still be hunting ready. But it was just, you know, that was what I needed to do to keep my, to maintain my skill with a traditional bow i'm shooting daily um now part of that is because i have to maintain the muscle memory the strength to to shoot the bows um and just maintain proper form and so forth but the flip side of it is it's just fun um i actually shoot in the you know when i'm practicing in my backyard i shoot at further distances with my traditional bow than i ever did with a compound um yeah so I mean I just uh, and and then I can get out I can go out in the woods I can stump shoot I can shoot at leaves I can I can shoot at whatever I don't have to worry about you know the arrow flying into the next county or 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 breaking <laughs> I couldn't tell you the last time I've even broken an arrow uh, because I was you know out shooting uh, it just very very rarely happens so you know there, yeah it's just a lot of fun it's and and it's it's all it's all you it's not. It's not your sight. It's not your release. Your mechanical release. It's 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 you. You become a part of that bow, and it's it's just a completely different feeling, especially to me when I'm in a hunting situation.
0: Yeah, one thing I like about it is it, it comes down to the point where you there's nothing else to blame it on. When you have you know a mechanical release, your bow, your sight, rest, all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of you know scapegoats uh, for you know, what happened? You made a bad shot on a deer. Oh, you know, the fletching hit my rise or this or that, or, you know, my, Oh, I, you know, released it, you know, function as the have. When you're shooting, you know, in traditional equipment, you know, it's all on you. I mean, everything, it is so simplistic on what you're shooting. That's why once you, I think once you get it down to me, as long as you practice, it's hard to lose that feeling. It's kind of like riding a bike again with that, you know, that, that, that saying, uh, but it's just so simplistic, but, you know, one thing I would like to talk about or jump into is well. This, before you
2: go on, I got to stop you there. and Just tell you, you need to spend a few camp is uh, spend a few campfires in a traditional bow hunting camp because yeah, they can come up with all kinds of excuses too. We're we're good at it. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> <it's>, <laughs>
0: well, I guess yeah, I guess you're, that's the point. I mean, any of us hunter, any out, any out, any outdoorsman and fishermen, hunter, whatever. Yeah, we all got our excuses for hunters,
1: fishermen, and other liars.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> but 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 let's jump into the killability with, with with traditional equipment. Uh, we all know you know if you're using you know a, a traditional bow, whether it's recurve or long bow, you know it's going to be slower uh, feet per second, less kinetic energy. You know with that, so what do you have to do other than a course shot placement? What is necessary to really make the bow lethal, and what's the best way to kind of uh, you know transitioning your bow to that from going you know target shooting to you know, your lethality with that weapon.
2: Oh, Andrew, you threw out the KE word. Um, So I'm probably going to say some things that will irritate some of your listeners, but I'm more than willing to talk to any of them and have a debate. Um, (laughs) Kinetic energy is really, in my opinion, nothing more than a marketing term that that bow manufacturers came up with to, to sell you a new bow every year because they added two feet per second to the speed of the bow. Um, (laughs) that said, hunting with a traditional bow and an arrow is no different than hunting with a compound bow and an arrow from the perspective of how it kills an animal. Um, an arrow kills an animal through hemorrhaging. The faster and more effectively you can cause that hemorrhaging to occur, the quicker and more humanely that animal is going to expire. Now, all of that said, ask me how fast my, my current setup is shooting. How fast you shooting? I have no idea.
0: I couldn't <laughs> I like tell you. I, like I that answer. I, I honestly
2: could not tell you. I haven't shot an arrow through a chronograph in probably seven or eight years. Um, I shoot um, the arrows that I'm going to be hunting with this fall, the arrows that I will be taking me, with me to Wyoming. Um, and I hope you guys are sitting down for this. The the total weight on that air is eight hundred and sixty grains. the The point weight alone is uh, four hundred and sixty, I believe. Wait, you're you're shooting a four hundred and sixty grain broadhead? No, but the total front end weight is four hundred and sixty uh, okay. grains. So <laughs> I was like, dear, I've John. got a I've got a couple of different broadhead setups that I'm actually. Uh, running this year, but the total weight of all of them comes out the same. Uh, one setup is shooting a 200 grain single bevel Grizzly. Uh, that's sitting on top of a uh, one piece stainless steel adapter insert. So it's a glue on broadhead like you would use on a wooden shaft. It glues onto a tapered adapter on the front of this adapter that then is also an insert. And then I also foot my carbon shafts with two and a half inches of aluminum arrow uh, for footing because it, it basically makes the arrow indestructible. It will not break. I've put um, I've put arrows from seventy five pound longbows that weighed nearly nine hundred grains into solid concrete that didn't break until the fourth shot at wow. point blank range. Hmm. So they're 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 indestructible. But again, that's really and I'll I'll touch on that in just a minute. Um, but from a perspective of actually being lethal. It's all about putting the arrow through the vitals and having a sufficient cutting surface that the hemorrhaging is quick and effective. I shoot single bevels because of the damage that they do in tissue and what they will do in the case that I do impact a shoulder blade or bone. Um, And they are are sharp. Typically, my broadheads, by the time I'm ready to head to the woods with them, I can hold the arrow... um, and just the weight of the air alone will shave the hair off my arm as it passes by. They're that sharp. Um, that's no joke. No, it's, it's not. And it takes a little while to perfect it. Um, I have up until this year, I've never seen a broadhead out of the box that I thought was hunt ready, um, of any brand doesn't matter. They, they typically, you know, dull, just in shipping, just rattling around in the case, they, they get dull. Um, but I am trying a, a new broadhead this year. Um, and when you actually receive the broadhead in the package, it's a two-blade screw-in broadhead. And the, the company actually uses some little soft glue to glue it to the the packaging so it can't move. And that head, when I took it out of the package, was just unbelievably sharp. Um, but to back up to the, the arrow weight and so forth, um, there's a lot of studies. And in fact, we're actually getting ready to release a podcast next week uh, that gets into some of this around forward of center and mass weight and the single bevel broadhead design and uh, effectiveness when encountering bone. And all of that comes into when I'm, when I'm building my hunting setups and my arrow setups to hunt with, um, you know, again, I don't know the arrow speed that I'm shooting, but it's probably somewhere in the 150 to 165 feet per second range. It may actually even be a little bit slower, but I I don't really care. But what I do care is, if I've got a shot on a steep quarter and away angle, I want to know that I can release that arrow and enter the animal, whether it's a deer, wild hog, doesn't matter, uh, as far back as the as the front of the the rear ham, and I can still break the shoulder on the opposite side on the exit. Basically, traveling from one end of the animal to the other, because I don't want to limit myself to a shot based on well, if I I don't know that I can get an exit um, and therefore a good blood trail to follow. So I, I kind of tend to go to the extremes, but I just, I, I'm not, uh, I don't like accepting failure. And I've, <laughs> i I want to know that if I decide to make a shot, I can do it. Um, and well, excuse me, that I can get enough penetration to get the job done. Last thing, and then I'll go back, let it, let you go back and ask any follow up. Um, I mentioned that I shot a nice buck this past year. I was in an elevated stand and that buck came in and when I placed the shot from the base of my tree to where that buck was standing was four yards. Um, I was basically shooting straight down on top of him and with an 860 grain two blade broadhead, the arrow entered high on the left shoulder and exited through the center of the buck's chest, cut a three inch um, slice through the heart and the arrow was actually embedded so deep in the ground after it passed through him that when the arrow, when the buck spun, he snapped the arrow off uh, about six inches um, from the ground because it was still in his chest when he spun. But the broadhead was so deep in the ground it couldn't move in this Georgia clay. Golly. So um, wow. they they are effective. And we could also talk about my my antelope from 2016 because that's a whole other story about penetration. But... So I hope I answered your question. I know that was kind of around the world to get there, but um, bottom line is momentum uh, is is more important. Even in compounds, momentum is more important than kinetic energy.
0: And I couldn't agree any more with you. I mean, that that's one thing that I think across the board, a lot of people that don't understand traditional hunting kind of give traditional hunting a bad rap or that they talk about it that way. It's like, oh, you don't get any penetration, uh, this and that, and, you know, you're shooting with a slow arrow and this and uh you know, slow... Anyways, and you hear some negativity about the cause of that, but if you understand your limitations and you're comfortable with your shots and everything, and shooting a, a Mack truck of a arrow that you're shooting, like, geez, said it was 800... How many? It was 800 grains?
2: 860.
0: God, that is... That is... That's insane. And you're shooting, uh, you know, just a two-blade broadhead with that. You know, one thing that I've heard a lot about anyone that shoots... You know, traditional or traditional equipment that they like the um, the one piece or two bladed single beveled broadhead. What is the exact reasoning for that? And you know, can can you explain a little bit more about that? Because the average, I think, the average bow hunter does not understand single uh, beveled uh, broadheads. Because I mean, I don't. That's one reason I'm asking this question because I personally don't understand it. So that's one reason I'd love to hear your uh, your take on that and again the effectiveness of it.
2: So uh, here's what I'll tell you. Um, try this for yourself. I'll even send you. A, I'll even send you an arrow in the mail to try. Take one of your arrows, and I don't even know what you're shooting. Okay, but take one of your arrows. I'll send you one of mine. Get you a piece of vegetable tanned leather, cow leather. Um, stand your arrow up on the with the knock in on the table. Place the the leather over that broadhead. And I want you to start applying pressure to it until that broadhead punctures through the, the leather. And watch what it does to your arrow shaft. Um, unless you've got a cut-on contact broadhead, chances are you're probably going to snap that carbon shaft before you go through that piece of leather.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: When, I send, when I send you my arrow, you can take and basically with your index finger and your thumb on each side, it'll slide through.
0: Hmm.
2: That's why. It's all about penetration. Um, you so the, again, there's a lot of, and I think it's probably just bad information that comes from a lot of the TV shows. Um, or maybe it's implied. I won't, uh, I shouldn't say it's bad information. It's probably implied. Um, the mechanical broadheads, one, they just won't work with traditional because they have such a poor mechanical advantage. It, it's just not an option I don't like them because they're, they are prone to fail. But um, for me, it's about knowing I can get an entrance and an exit. Uh, I want to have the, the the best opportunity for a good blood trail that I can follow. I have helped track and even found animals that people have left because they they didn't get penetration, they didn't get a blood trail, and because they didn't have a... Uh, a, a blood trail a blind man could follow they said well that animal will survive um, and I've actually had to do that multiple times on public land where uh, in fact one guy I even had to get the guy's phone number um, and after I found his animal I, I called him and carried it to his house for it hoping that he learned a lesson and might do better the next time but it's a uh, you know you the the whole speed thing that's probably part of the reason you mentioned that, you know, a lot of people look down on, on traditional hunters as it being less effective. And I will tell you that a lot of that um, potentially comes from when people make the transition from compound to traditional gear. And they try to go at it with the same mentality about speed and light setups. And I made the same mistake. So I'm speaking from experience. the, the Like the second animal that I shot was... Um, not the, it was a, it was a, it was an ethical angle, but it wasn't the best angle for the setup that I had. And I didn't get enough penetration. Um, I swore that would never happen again. Hence, that's why I'm shooting these setups that I do today. But, <laughs> um, you know, I, I know a lot of, I know a lot of traditional guys that take a lot of animals every year. Um, and they do it routinely and effectively are there people out there that lose animals? Yeah. On, on both sides. It's not, I know it's not limited to the the traditional community. There's a lot of animals that get lost from, from um, compounds and crossbows as well.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you know, a lot of people do get hung up on speed and this is something that I had to deal with a lot when I worked in that bow shop, because you'd have a lot of guys coming in, especially guys who are newer to hunting or just younger guys in general uh, who, who would come in just thinking that all that mattered was speed. They needed the fastest arrow. When in reality, you know, a lot of people are worried about an uh, animal ducking your arrow. And, you know, 20 or 30 feet per second at 35, 40 yards is not going to make that big of a difference when it comes to an animal ducking the arrow. So, I mean, because you're getting there like .001 seconds faster or something. But uh, I had a guy come in one time and for anybody who doesn't know, like the average weight of an arrow for a compound is gonna be like somewhere in the nine grain per inch area. So the arrows that I'm shooting, I think Carbon Express Maxima Red micro diameters. Mm-hmm. Those things are like nine point six grains per inch or something like that, somewhere in that neighborhood. This guy was coming in all mad at us because we didn't have five grain per inch arrows. I'm like, are you crazy? Like, why would you shoot something that light? And he's like, well. I'm not trying to knock the animal down, I'm just trying to slice through them. I'm like, "Yeah, but there's bones in it, man. If you hit a bone, you're
2: <laughs> you're in trouble." You know? Well, and and so the, you know, the animal dropping. Um again, the light arrows, some of the some of the, the broadheads that are used today, a lot of people won't take that that lower uh shot, heart shot because they're worried about the knuckle. Um you know, if I hit that knuckle, I'm not going to get any penetration. If you aim for the heart and the animal drops though, you're going to get a lung hit. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's a trade-off there. Uh, a lot of times if I think the animal's going to drop, if they're, you know, if they're acting a little edgy, I aim for the heart. I'm not worried if I hit the knuckle, I'm gonna, I'm gonna blow through the knuckle just like I would anything else. Um, but that's part of that 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 reasoning about the speed and you know, I've even heard of, in fact, sadly, I've seen it on on social media where people are talking about, you know, aim a little bit further back if you, you know, with this, this whatever broadhead. broadhead, you know, if you hit a little gut, you're still going to get them because they just cut such a massive hole, and that's yeah, just that's yeah. that's the wrong mentality to take. I'm I'm sorry, it just it just is.
1: I, I agree, man. Like, a, uh, we had people come in again, like people coming in want to kind of get away with things and. Uh, There's actually a, um, uh, like a, I guess it's like an arrow adapter where you basically cut off the last five or so inches of your arrow and you screw this on as like an insert and it's two gigantic expandable blades that are like in your arrow shaft and then you screw on regular broadhead on the front of that. So you'd have like a, like a muzzy three blade or something. And then you'd have, in your, ingrained in your aero shaft, you got this massive expandable. It's like a two-inch cutting diameter. And we had a guy coming in. He's like, yeah, man, I I shot a doe right in the guts just to see what it would do, and she died in 40 yards. It just goes to show, man, that, that people people try to get away with some sketchy things, and it's, it's really sad, to be honest
0: with you.
2: Well, I will tell you, I have got, as far as the effectiveness of the traditional gear um, – I've got, I know I've got one on film and I've got a couple of others that I've, I've timed. One was in real low light, so you can't even see the, the, the footage. Um, it was a a GoPro that just was horrible at low light. But anyway, um, I've got animals on film that from the time the arrow was released till the time they hit the ground was 15 seconds. Um, and that's that's not a long time. Uh, most most of the animals are recovered inside of 70 yards.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll say something else about just, you know, when it comes to broadheads. Like you said, like, you know, even myself, I, I've gotten, you know, you know, six, seven years ago, I was all caught up in, you know, you got the biggest, baddest mechanical broadhead opened up the biggest hole in an animal and this and that. And the, the thing about it is it's not necessarily – well, the the circumference of the hole is is massive, and it, it really hinders your penetration just because it's so wide. You're coming in contact with more bone going through it, and just more tissue. And also, something that a lot of people don't think about is the angle of the blades is critical, because even if you have extremely sharp, super sharp arrow or super sharp uh, broadhead, but the blades are you know at a very very um, uh, wide angle. Mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's going to get dull a lot quicker going through an animals. going to have a lot less penetration value where if you have a very, very steep angled uh, blade, it's going to zip through it a lot quicker. That's why I think that I've noticed with a lot of the, the, the guys that shoot trad, or really just anyone that shoots fixed arrows, is a lot of guys that shoot those fixed broadheads I think have kind of turned towards some of that and that's one thing I like about fix, which I personally have never shot fixed, so this is coming from a guy that's always shot mechanical um, is with the mechanical broadheads, no matter what you're using, they're always at a at an angle that really doesn't make a lot of sense when you're trying to push through some tissue. Even, you know, you're trying to go fast. I mean, it's, it's not gonna have the penetration of if you've got a steeper angle, sharper broadhead that's gonna be able to zip through the ammo a lot quicker. Kind of like with your setup and uh, just be able to get that penetration even at, you know a, a lower speed but you're shooting such a heavy arrow that's really allowing you to you to go through that deer uh, which is critical because i think andrew like you said a lot of guys do get caught up in speed uh, again I, i've been guilty of that as well so i can i've dealt, definitely been on the guilty uh verdict on this side uh of doing that you know i think it speeds everything and, and it really is it to me it's it's the weight of the arrow and shot placement is critical and then also looking at what broadhead you're using that really matches what you're trying to do because uh, if you're using a super light setup and you're using expandable uh it's it's it might not it's probably not going to work out for you and it's you're probably going to be wounding some animals which i've done in the past so again i'm, I'm guilty of that as well uh, every
2: if, if so there's there's in there's two kinds of bow hunters there's bow hunters that have never shot an animal and there's bow hunters that have wounded an animal if you do this long enough you're going to wound an animal i don't care what kind of gear you're yeah, shooting it doesn't true. matter so you know, it, it's it's just the nature of the beast. Uh, but I think we all should do everything we can can do to minimize that from happening. But it's it's going to happen to all of us um, from time to time.
0: I will say that
2: yeah. going back to I'm sorry, um, James, but going back to what you were saying about the the mechanicals and the width and the angle. Um, that goes back to what i was talking about mechanical advantage so you know spend some time doing do a little research on that if you've never heard of it and look up you know what mechanical advantage is because that's where the that's where the mechanicals you know really suffers they've just got such a poor mechanical advantage when it comes to getting through an animal that said i want to be i want to be very clear and plain about a couple of things with regards to mechanical heads First of all, the, the biggest reason a lot of people shoot mechanical heads is, and you see and hear this all the time, they fly just like fill points. A properly tuned arrow can shoot just like a fill point, even if you. I'm shooting a one-and-a-half-inch wide head, two-blade head, and I can shoot that from my bow, bare shaft with no feathers, out to 30 yards, and I can still hit within a six-inch circle consistently. But you have to tune now, the flip side of that is, if someone does not understand how to tune their setup, I don't care if it's traditional um, or, or compound, if they can't tune their setup, um, and I'm going to rephrase this, if you're shooting a compound and you don't know how to tune your setup, don't know how to tune your arrow, I would much rather see you shoot a mechanical, a good solid mechanical head that will has a high probability of opening and doing what it's supposed to do if you can make that fly just like your, quote, fill point so that you hit what you're looking at consistently. You've got a much better chance of recovering that animal um, effectively and cleanly than you do if you try to shoot a fixed blade head on an arrow that's not tuned and it's it's all over the place. And you either can't hit where you're, where you're aiming or you get poor penetration because of poor air flight. So I just, yeah. I, I, you know, I want to be fair about that. Exactly they have their place.
0: Right. Well, one thing, guys, that I actually would like to talk about, and Steve, I'd like for you to uh, kind of have the floor on this topic is tuning your bow. Especially when it comes to you know traditional hunting, uh, you know what all goes in goes in uh, to your setup when you try to tune your arrow, and how do you go about doing that?
2: Um, f- well, a lot of it is is no different than than trying to tune a, an arrow for a compound, Duke. Um, So we'll talk about the differences first, and then I'll talk about the the arrow itself. Um, Understanding uh, how to look for proper brace height, how to look for proper um, knocking point. Um, Again, those are those are really key to getting proper arrow flight. Um, In some cases, you may have to actually if you're shooting uh, off the shelf, meaning you don't have an adjustable rest that you can move and adjust. Uh, you may have to uh, play around with strike plate thickness and so forth to make that, the, the riser, that bow, a little wider to get the, the arrow to bend around the riser the way it's supposed to. Um, so there's, there's some aspects of knowing your bow. And when I say brace height, um, that's talking about when the, when the bow is at rest, um, the distance between the back of the riser and the string. Um, there's a sweet spot there that you have to find on just about every bow And you do that by shortening or lengthening the string so that you can, um, increase or decrease that brace height to find that sweet spot. Once you get there and you start actually tuning the arrows, I, I bear shaft tune. So I will start with an arrow that based on, you know, a few years of, of doing this should be pretty close for the, the draw weight of the bow. Um, I may also have to factor in the, the thickness of the riser on the bow. So some bows are cut two or even a little past center cut but i shoot the predominantly i shoot the american semi longbow style bow which has a a very thick riser so the arrow has to bend a lot more to get around and clear the bow when you when you shoot it and release it as it's going through the arrow is going through archer's paradox it has to wrap around that that riser but once once i start tuning the arrow it's it's the same as it is with a compound you you take a bare shaft you you set it up with the, the Uh, point weight that you're going to be shooting and you shoot it from you know five yards real close to the target and you look to see if the if the knock is is impacting left or right if the arrow is going left or right of where you look you're looking at and then you can determine is the shaft too stiff or is it too weak Um, if it's too stiff in spine you you either need to um, change the spine or you need to add additional point weight so that you can uh, weaken the dynamic spine of that shaft so it'll bend around that riser if it's showing is too weak then you can either reduce point weight or you can shorten the arrow and, and when I'm tuning I just if it's too weak um, then I, I start cutting from the back of the shaft until it stiffens up enough that I'm getting proper air flight once I'm getting proper arrow flight at five yards I'll move back to seven test if it's still good I'll move back to ten and I'll typically go out as far as you know, 20, 25 yards bear shaft. Um, and as, as long as it's impacting, uh, together and impacting where I'm looking, then I'll fletch one up, try it, make sure everything looks good. And then I consider it being tuned. Um, in 99.9% of the cases, once I get that fill point flying the way I want it to at 20 yards, I can put a, a broadhead on and I can consistently shoot that arrow with any broadhead I want to shoot at the same distance. And it's going to impact within a few inches of the, of the uh, field point.
0: Well, another thing, you know, I'd like to touch on too is, you know, for anyone that's interested in either, you know, getting into, you know, traditional hunting or just traditional archery in, in general, you know, what's a recommendation from you on, you know, what equipment do people need to look at? Also, maybe what are a couple different bows that you would recommend? Uh, whether you know, especially someone maybe on a budget or someone that's really just kind of looking at, you know, testing the waters on, uh, you know, how they would like it. So again, you know, what, what equipment do they need to, uh, need to have or need to know? And then also what bows would you recommend for them?
2: Uh, okay. So the first thing, um, tune into the traditional outdoors podcast and you might learn some stuff there. Um, (laughs) I also, I also, and we didn't mention this, but, um, I actually kind of got started in all this through another website that I still run and a little web store that I do, um, Simply Traditional, and that's uh, simplytraditional.net. And, and there's, you know, I've got some articles and so forth there, and there's there's definitely ways people can contact me either through the Traditional Outdoors website or through the Simply Traditional website, um, and I'm, I'm happy to help. Uh, with regards to a bow and, and looking for the right setup, I never recommend anybody go out and buy definitely not go buy a new bow unless you just have no other option Um, usually you can find a a local club or local organization that um, has a maybe a regular shoot you know once a month or maybe it's just once every few months but you can usually track some people down that are nearby that are already in the sport and they're more than happy to let you try to shoot their bows so like I said before, some people just gravitate towards longbows, some people gravitate towards uh, recurves, and then there's the hybrid longbow that's kind of in between a, a, a longbow and a recurve. And, you know, different bows just shoot differently for different people. Um, but I would highly recommend trying to find a mentor. Um, you can do some research online. I would, I would tend to steer people away from trying to ask questions on social media just because everybody's got an opinion and You just get overwhelmed. And that's not saying any of the advice or opinions you get may be wrong. It's just they're they're so varying you can kind of get overwhelmed and not end up more confused than when you started. If you just don't have any other choice and you have to go out and buy a a new bow or a bow sight unseen, unseen, you can look for used bows on, you know, Facebook, eBay. I mean, there's a lot of places you can find some used bows um you know something like a a bear montana is a really good longbow to get started with it's not going to break the bank and you can usually find those pretty cheap um uh, secondhand that's Uh, what
1: jamie monahan has our friend we referenced earlier he has that montana longbow
2: yeah and they're they're great bows they're indestructible um they're you know they're they're not uh, they're not an ugly bow, but when you get in some of the custom bows now, you're going to spend a lot more money, and they're they're probably a bit fancier looking. But you know they they shoot an arrow. I mean it it's uh, there's nothing wrong with that Montana um, from a recurve perspective. A really good and and cost effective. I don't like using the word cheap. Cost effective option is uh, <laughs> uh, a bow called a sage. It's made by a Samick. So a Samick sage is. Is very cost-effective, and it's a great start of bow, and I know a lot of people that, that's, that hunt with them. So there's a lot of options for getting into the sport for, you know, a couple hundred bucks. You don't have to spend a ton. Um, if you get hooked into it, you know, and then you start wanting to buy, you know, have a, a custom-made longbow made, then you can, or a custom-made bow of any kind made, you can spend anywhere from 600 to nearly $2,000 on a custom bow. So, uh, but definitely, you know, make sure that's something you really enjoy and you want to do before you you go spend a lot of money because you just don't have to.
0: All right, well perfect. Well that's again that's something that I'm definitely interested in just because I think that would be something at least fun to kind of re-regenerize uh or re-energize um you know my love for archery. Uh just to be able to go out there, you know, in the backyard, you know, shoot you know work up my confidence to maybe one day be able to go hunt with it but at least be able to go out there and just enjoy shooting because I, I enjoy shooting my compound bows but it's one of those things that after a while it gets so repetitive it's it's one of those things like i i definitely don't like to go shoot stumps with it uh, i've done it before and, and have lost <laughs> arrows uh and launch
1: it, one into the stratosphere <laughs> it, it, it,
0: well it, it's just it's just again it's more complex and it's something that I'm not going to do that kind of stuff with. I'm going to shoot at a target, done with it, okay, I'm going to go put it up, but big deal. Where, like, a longbow, uh, you know, I actually had a neighbor growing up, and he had one, and he would literally, we'd go in his front yard, and they'd have, uh, you know, like they had a big pine tree in their front yard with real big pine cones. He'd put pine cones out in the yard, and he'd shoot them with his longbow, you know, whatever it is. He'd just throw them out there and just walk walk off, and we'd shoot at them. Uh, and it's, like, stuff like that. I mean, to me, it's so much fun. It's something that you can get kids into, I think, relatively easy, uh, you know, a lot yes, of sc-
1: absolutely.
0: Yeah, a lot and a lot of schools now are now d- having archery uh, teams. Whether using traditional archery equipment, a lot of them now are using the compounds just without sights and uh everything else or releases. It's again, but still uh, instinctively shooting. But it, it's something that definitely it can get new people into the sport of archery along with hunting because again. A lot of archers become hunters it's you know sometimes it's the other way around someone gets into archery because they want to go hunting but a lot of times it's the other way around and i think they can really fire up someone's love for archery and then get into the outdoors through that you're
2: exactly right i agree 100 percent. and i will tell you both um so if you if you ever want to just hop in a car and 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 head up to uh north georgia i know it's i know what it is for for andrew i'm not sure about you jacob how far but we have a club here um, you guys would probably want to come up on a, on a Saturday, spend the night, and, and come and shoot with us on a Sunday, and I promise you you'll have more fun than you ever thought about having with a bow in your hand. We, we do that pretty much every uh, first Sunday of the month outside of, of bow season. So keep that in mind for next year. We're, we're right on the heels of, of archery season right now, so um, you probably want to you know stick with what you're already used to. But you know after hunting season, early next year, January, February, Plan on making a trip up here. I think you'll really enjoy it.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to give it a try, man, because I, I don't know what it is, but I keep getting, like, lured back to traditional archery, especially since you started your thing up and I've been listening to your show. It's just, like, deep down I know that I have to do it, you know, and it's just, like, a matter of time before I get back into it. But uh, I'm definitely going to be making a trip up this fall to uh,
2: hunt some bears with you and you're welcome when it just let me know when you're coming um and heck i've got i've got enough bows you could you could probably shoot one of those while we're sitting around the truck during lunch or something if you wanted to but but yeah you and you and jacob both are welcome to come up here and we'll uh i've got uh within uh, within an hour of my house i've probably got somewhere in the neighborhood of a couple hundred thousand acres of, of public land so um bear is bear is something of a Uh, an opportunistic species for me i don't ever directly pursue them but i've i've had some pretty pretty close calls with with bears as far as getting a shot while while deer hunting but just hadn't hadn't quite had the right opportunity to to release an arrow yet but hopefully this year
0: well yeah this year could be the year exactly and i was gonna say uh I, i will definitely be coming down if andrew comes up but uh, I will definitely be running a camera. I won't be be behind the bow, but I will be uh, be behind the camera for that hunt because I think that's gonna be a good time. Uh, I, you know, you know, bear hunting is one of those things I'm definitely interested in. But I'm gonna let Andrew take the uh, the lunge first and see how it goes for him, <laughs> and then uh, we'll we'll go from there. Just because my fall is looking like it's gonna be extremely busy with Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama, and Ohio. But, um, but well, before we wrap up this episode, we, we gotta, we gotta bring up Wyoming, uh, Steve, I'd love for you to talk about, you know, first of all, I I know you mentioned earlier about your antelope hunt you went on. I want you to talk about that and you were going to bring up something about penetration on that animal. And then let's, uh, kind of talk a little bit about, uh, your mule deer hunt, uh, Wyoming this year.
2: Sure. So, um, some, some people that may listen to this that have also listened to our, our podcast, some of this may be repetitive, but, um. So I'd wanted to hunt antelope, uh, since I was a, a teenager. Uh, one of the first animals that I read about in, I think it was fur fishing game at the time was, you know, was hunting pronghorns and I put it off for way too long, 34 years. Um, and, uh, a good friend of mine, we, we had a conversation to decide if we were going to go and this was in 2016 and we hunted antelope in Wyoming. Um, and it's kind of funny how it played out. The, uh, when the the gentleman that carried us out to our blinds the opening day uh we were hunting over water holes and he carried us out to the blind and one of the first things he asked us was have you know have either one of you hunted antelope before and and i told him i had not and my buddy tom said well i have but i've never i've never taken one and um he said well whatever you do um do not hit them in the shoulder said you know we have we have hunters every year just you know, every now and then somebody will hit one in the shoulder and you just, you don't even bother looking for it. You're not going to find it. Said, um, in fact, I would much rather you, you hit the animal a little back, um, because the prairie, they're not going anywhere. We, you know, we can track it, we can find it. Um, so just, you know, try to avoid the shoulder. So, you know, okay, sure enough. And I get to my blind that morning and, uh, put all my gear in the blind, was planning on staying there the, the entire day. And, you know, I, I looked out across the prairie, and it was all, you know, foreign country to me. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, it's going to be two hours before I see anything. I can see for, you know, 10 miles in any direction. <laughs> and so I, I took the time to actually just pace the what I thought would be the furthest shot I could make, which was about 26 yards. And then I went and got back in my blind, and I started getting my – my gear out, I had a camera with me and so forth. And I look up and there's, there's two antelope drinking in the water hole. And I'm like, where did they come from? It, I mean, it wasn't 15 minutes. So then I got to paying attention and I realized that even though it looks flat, there's a lot of little, just little draws. It may only be a few feet deep, but you know, it's all it takes to hide an antelope. And so then I started really watching and glassing. And I think by 11 o'clock I had already logged in my journal, uh, 150 antelope that came in that morning. And I I had a little sequence where I'd look around the different little peepholes in this blind. And I spotted the buck that I ended up taking about 100 yards out. And as soon as I looked at him through the binoculars, I saw, you know, a little over an inch long uh, ivory tips on the end of his, on the end of his horns. And I said, yeah, if he comes in, you know, that's what I'm going to take. So. After about 30 minutes, he finally makes his way to the, the water hole. I thought he was going to walk up to a, a place that you could see where the, the antelope had been drinking just right outside the, the shooting window, and, and he didn't. He ended up going all the way around to the very furthest point uh, at that water hole. But I knew the distance, so I picked a spot right behind the shoulder, and I came to full draw, and I let go. And it seemed like it took that arrow... 30 seconds to cross that 25, 26 yards. (laughs) But as soon as I released, and the only thing I can think of, uh, it's one of only two times I've ever had an animal do this, but as soon as I released, I think the, the noise reverberating out of that blind made that animal spin because he spun towards me, not away from me. So he spun into the path of that arrow and as soon as he started spinning, i watched watching air and I just, you know, I cringed. I said, "It's it's going to hit shoulder," and it did, and it it made the it was just the the worst sound uh, when it when it hit his shoulder. Um, and he he spun, and I saw part of my arrow fly off, and he turned and went uh, straight away from me, and I watched him go off, and he bedded down about 150 yards, and I honestly think he would have stayed there, and that would have been uh, the end of the story. But another buck started pushing him and actually pushed him up to a little coulee beside of my blind and it ended up coming out of my blind um got down on all fours and and got in position and got another shot and and that was that when we got that animal back um and started dressing it out um cody one of the guys in camp was helping us uh, dress it and i just looked over on the the off shoulder on the opposite side and i said i said cody be careful that broadhead's just about to come out on the other shoulder and he looked at and he said no that's he's been he's been injured there or something before there's no way that arrow went through um both shoulders and i okay watch it and sure enough when he brought the knife up that shoulder the the broadhead and the weight that was on the end of that arrow fell out on the other side um, when we got to looking at the animal, um, it had centered the, the left scapula and split the bone from the, from the knuckle joint all the way up to the top of the scapula, went through and actually knocked a three-inch chunk of bone out of the shoulder on the opposite side. God and he way. looked at me. When, when, he, when we were looking at all this, he just stopped and said, we have seen hundreds of antelope come in that have been shot in the shoulder and never get any penetration on the bone the broadhead basically will just stick right in the bone and it ends up getting broken off and the animal's fine and somebody will, will harvest it later in the season or even the next year and he said if i had not seen that with my own two eyes i would have never believed that was possible um wow. so yeah. you know the, the 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 shoulder blades on on antelope are are a lot denser the bone's just a lot denser than it is on the on a whitetail. but that was a that arrow was 760 grain total weight. Um, I want to say the front end was around 400 grains on, on that setup. Um, and I was shooting a, a, a longbow that pulled 73 at 28 inches, so 73 pounds at full draw. Um, and if, if if I hadn't been shooting that setup, I have no doubt I would not have recovered that animal. And he ended up um, making Pope and Young scored uh, just shy of 73 inches. So. Ooh. Here's a beautiful buck, just a beautiful buck.
0: Well, well, that's awesome. and That's something that, you know, I, again, you know, if someone would have told me that, that oh, yeah, you know, personally I probably would not have believed that if I had heard that from someone else just because me and my preconceived notions, which are definitely not, again, positive just from what I've heard, again, from traditional hunters, I mean, it's it's like anything, you know, you hear something, you take it to be fact, and it's not always true. You know, I never thought that, that penetration could be like that through traditional equipment. So that that is unbelievable that that's what's capable of coming out of a setup like what you're using. And it, it shows that, you know, technology technology is great, but it's not necessary uh, to, to be able to, first of all, be successful and then be able to harvest animals like that. Uh, so, so that is something that I'm, I've definitely come to respect a lot more uh, after this episode is to see what you're capable of using a bow and what other people are once they put in the time and effort and really, uh, work on their scent to make it as you know lethal as possible. Uh, so that, that's unbelievable. Um, I'll shoot
2: w- you i I'll shoot you a picture of a, of a just shy 200 pound hog. I co- took a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. um, steep quarter away shot entered, um, actually entered just ahead. Well, actually right behind the, the last rib, um, went through the lungs took out the top of the heart cut the windpipe and the the i was shooting a 235 grain grizzly uh two blade single bevel and it was embedded over an inch deep in the jawbone on the opposite side (laughs) yeah you can get you can get some unbelievable penetration it's really amazing sometimes
0: exactly and that's one thing that i'm definitely gonna be looking at maybe adjusting my setup for this fall is you know just adding some more weight to it um you, you know my total steps right around 400 and i think it's 420 grains for the whole setup which is i mean that's you know on the lighter side for sure for some hunting steps i know guys that have you know killed things with 375 grain setups uh which is you know nothing necessarily to be bragging about unless you're you know doing a 3d shoot and you're you know you don't want any dropping your arrow but uh i would love to be around you know that five to five 550. Now I've known guys that have gone all up to 650 using a, a 650 grain arrow with a compound uh, bow, especially if they're going, you know, for a much larger game. But you know, that, just that having that that in your back uh, back pocket when it comes to penetration and knowing that you know you're going to get a lot of penetration in, in this up. I mean definitely doesn't mean you need to be aiming uh at the shoulder but at least you know you have a lot more confidence in your setup, and you understand that you know you're going to get a good blood trail uh with with your setup so that's that's awesome to hear um but unless you have something else to add to that i'd love to talk about what's your game plan for this fall going into uh going back to wyoming
2: sure um and the only thing i will add one one closing thought on the whole arrow argument um never never shoot the the arrow that will work when everything goes right shoot the arrow that will work when things don't go as planned um you know if if you're shooting an animal broadside and you you hit nothing but you know uh nothing but the 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 vitals and pass right through without touching a rib or everything else you know those those real light setups are going to work great and they may even work if you hit a rib but you know you, you, you owe it to the animal to shoot the the arrow that's going to have a higher margin of success, even when things don't go perfect. So I'll leave it at that. Um, as far as as far as Wyoming this fall, yeah, me and me and Tom, the the same guy that I hunted Wyoming with in 2016, uh, we're headed back to Wyoming this year for mule deer. We tried to draw uh, an elk tag, but we we weren't successful. I don't think either one of us really had enough. Uh, preference points built up at this time but uh, we're going to kind of use mule deer as a, a good primer for uh doing some some backcountry hunting we're actually planning on um parking at a trailhead on the 31st of august in the morning uh hiking our our gear uh, in setting up camp six to eight miles in um we're going to be hunting in the bighorn so we're in you know region y awesome and um We'll be, we'll be camping about six or eight miles in and, and you know, heading out each morning to, to glass from that camp, uh, probably anywhere, you know, two to three miles out, getting up on the ridges. So we'll be hunting timberline, doing a lot of glass and a lot of spot and stalk. And yes, both of us are, are hunting with longbows. So.
0: Awesome. And I'll say that that was definitely one of the regions we were looking to draw uh, when we went this past year. Uh, so I think you're going to absolutely love it. I will say, though, you're hunting the bighorns. Just gonna let you know, coming from two two younger guys, that uh, it's a it's a it's, it's a different ball game. <laughs> Hiking through the mountains, and uh, you might want to plan for twice the di- however long you think it would take you to get down. You know, six to eight miles down here, mm-hmm. at least double that. I mean, because it's it's unreal. Uh, it, it blew us away on how long it took us to get into you know some of our spots. Just you know, only a couple miles, but. God, when it takes you five, six hours just because the elevation gain, is just – it's unreal, but it's absolutely beautiful country. And thank God you won't have to worry about grizzly bears and the big horns. <laughs> right, yeah.
1: Yeah, and that we're, hike we had, that was a death march, man. It was bad.
2: We're, and that's one reason we're planning on getting there early. So we're going to drive through the night um, on the 30th and, you know, try to be there early in the morning uh, the day before. Uh, I'm trying to do anywhere from uh, uh, three to four times a week uh, – you know four to five miles with 60 pound pack so i know it's going to be different but i'm i'm trying to i'm trying to get myself in pretty good shape so hopefully uh my buddy's tom just just got back from africa and he's he's loaded down with work so i'm, I'm hoping he's going to be able to keep up with me he's he's several years younger than i am so i'm, I'm kind of hoping i can what, what's the matter with you old man keep up we'll, we'll see how that goes
0: <laughs> exactly I, I mean you're all, i'm sure you're going to have a blast with that and i'm really excited to see how that goes for you guys uh you know hunting, hunting mule deer and the big ones first of all just be, a beautiful area to be able to hunt but also doing it you know with traditional equipment it's going to be even better i think and uh, uh especially if, if y'all get the chance to be able to take a camera with you which i'm sure you will I'd uh, be able to film some of that would be absolute blast. I'm sure everyone's going to love to see you know what y'all come back with and especially hear some of the stories and see some of the footage that hopefully I'll be able to take while you're out there.
2: We are planning on, or I'm planning on carrying a uh, steel camera. i um, not sure about video yet. Definitely a, a small camcorder, maybe a, an action camera. Uh, we'll also, I'm going to be carrying a digital recorder, so we're actually going to try to record We're planning on trying to do about 20 minutes every night just to recap of the day and release that as a podcast. So, you know, we're going to try to catalog it pretty good. Ultimately, you know, like I said, we're treating this as somewhat of a learning experience. And we're going to we already know we're going to have so many great experiences while we're out there you know if, if we manage to to get a, a a mule deer on the ground that'll just again that'll just be icing on the cake it'll be a it'll be a trip that we'll remember for a long time regardless of of uh whether or not the the animals cooperate we'll just have to wait and see
1: yeah man i'm i'm excited for y'all i can't wait to see what it what that place yields for you guys and i know that uh the trip that me and jacob took up there to the mountains was just life-changing it was really 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 a cool experience and I I can't wait to see what you bring back man whether it's just a story or or some uh, mule deer meat but I guess we'll see. But guys, we need to wrap this one up. So uh do you guys have any concluders, or are we good to go?
2: Uh the only thing I'll say is I I I have gone back and that was actually what what kind of attracted me to to your your guys podcast was the the uh western episodes, the the Wyoming episodes that you did. Uh, a few months back i listened to all of them and and really good stuff really appreciate y'all putting that information out there for everybody
1: thank you man we we really appreciate that that's a series we worked hard on and we got some uh, good feedback on it so we're glad we could help people
2: that's all i have just i really appreciate you guys bringing me on and now we now we got to figure out a, a time and a place to to get you guys on on our show and we'll talk a little bit more traditional from uh from your guys perspective
1: sounds good to me man well Thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next week. You guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we have went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years, and it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that, that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you. Whatever the case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year. And guess what? This year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsman podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies. So you guys don't miss it. It's June 28th through the 30th. I'm telling you, if you listen to this podcast, this is an event you need to be at. Now we'll see you guys at the Mobile Hunters Expo June 28th through the 30th in Dalton, Georgia.